church family. Uh, this is um, a new week, and that means for us we get to study or continuing on our study through the book of Ezra. Today, uh, this week we're going to do uh, Ezra chapter 9, which is reaching the end of the book. And I think this chapter um, is very unique because um, it kind of builds off of uh, everything that's happened. And if you recall the narrative, um, there's really two uh, major divisions in this book. The first six chapters is uh, the people coming back to the land and then building the temple, which they did a um, you know great job. They're faithful. They trust in the Lord, uh, and by God's good hand, uh, they were able to have all their needs met. Uh, whether it's um, things in the temple, things in the uh, offerings, or uh, everything that they need, the Persian. Uh, emperor, the Persian king, was able to do this mainly because uh, of a decree that was made by Cyrus, uh, and it was all fulfillment of God's plan in, through the work of the people, even though they have no clue uh, what was really going on. Uh, and then the last several chapters, 7 to 10, it's the ministry of Ezra. Uh, if you recall, chapter 7 is when we see and are introduced to Ezra. He comes in as a as a unique priest, uh, and he uh, gets a charge uh, from the Lord to to really go back uh, with a, like a second generation of, of Babylonian exiles. Um, he appeals to the king, and the king uh, gives him. Uh, he was just generous with him. He gave him all the things that he needed in order to go uh, to worship the uh, the God of Israel. Chapter eight. Uh, the journey. They went on the journey. They went uh, with uh, several thousand Jewish people on this journey from Babylonian to to uh, Jerusalem. And on the way there, uh, they realized that they didn't have enough priests or Levites. So Ezra, um, through prayer, uh, gets uh, sends a group of people to look for people who knows God's word uh, to be able to. Uh, teach it, or live it, to teach it, and also uh, do all the, the offices of a priest. There's will do all the sacrifices and, um, you know, like examining cases and all of that. Uh, and the Lord provided for them. And uh, as they were going on the journey, they realized that um, this is a dangerous journey. So they fasted and asked the Lord to uh, give them protection. He, Ezra didn't want to go back to the Persians and ask for protection because he said earlier that, uh, that the Lord will protect them. And he wanted to honor that and he wanted to um, you know, show he didn't want to back down on it, so he just wanted to live up to it and he trusted in the Lord. And whatever happened, happened. Uh, and it says that the hand of God was with them, and then they were able to reach uh, to Jerusalem with all the gold and people intact, and there was no um, nothing was taken from them because God's hand was on them. Now we get to chapter nine. Uh, this is about four months after the last chapter, and uh, and it, it really gets to like a like a I don't know. I guess it gets it gets disappointing from from the from perspective of Ezra, and we'll see uh, as we go through this. But before I start, let me uh, open up our time this week with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word and allowing us to see just the, um, the, the all the characters in the Old Testament as a lesson for ourselves and how we need to conduct ourselves. Lord, we know that we are not Jewish. Um, we're not Jews, uh, we're part of the New Covenant, but uh, your word is designed for us to, uh, to have instruction, to, to show us um, just how good you are and how wicked man can be and um, what happens when we fail to live up to your word. Be with us this week. May we honor you with, our, uh, with the meditation of your word and hope so we can uh, 
uh, glorify you in all that we do. Uh, praise you in your son's name. Amen. Uh, to start, uh, this really this whole chapter speaks of Israel failing and then they need needing to repent. And repentance is a we know this word in in our church. We we've said it in sermons and multiple in, through those sermons and even a conversation. And we understand that the meaning of this word is really to turn away, is turn away from sin and turning towards God is uh, putting off sin and then putting on Christ likeness and. In fact, John the Baptist, he before uh, you know, he's the one that gives the, he's a forerunner of Jesus, and he tells people uh, to repent. Uh, in fact, one of the first recorded things that Jesus has said was to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We see that in Matthew chapter four, verse seventeen. So repentance is, is an important part of the Christian life. Um, it's it's part of really how we come to know the Lord. But as Christians, we understand that we're still in our sinful flesh. There's still um, moments where we fall into sin, and uh, that doesn't um, mean that just because we're saved that we can live however we want, but there's still moments where we stumble, and in those moments where we fall into sin, uh, we're still called to repent. We're still called to turn, and, and this is a lifelong process. The, the, the Christian life is a constant putting off of sin, putting off Christ, putting off sin and putting on Christ-likeness. And this chapter really focuses on that. It focuses on sin and repentance of the people. Um, chapter 9 begins four months after uh, the end of chapter 8. And if you recall, this is really a lot of time. This is really Ezra's first like uh, interaction with the, with the people as a whole. You know, chapter 8, he was just, 7, he was just kind of talking with the king, trying to get there. 8, he gets there. And 9, now he's really engaging with people. Four months later, and then um, the people fall into tremendous sin. And this is a major upset for for Ezra. Um, because Ezra remembers, you know, he, was some, he was someone that had mastery over the uh, the Torah, the Old Testament, uh, up until that point. So he remembers, and he uh, he remembers the God's faithfulness, and he also remembers the foolishness of God's people when they would go back into sin. In fact, the sin that we will see in this chapter is the same sin that got them into this mess in the first place. They've completely forgotten uh, what God has done for them and bringing them back, and they run headlong back into sin. I got them in trouble in the first place. <clears throat> so let's begin. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now, when these things had been completed, the princes approached me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, according to their abominations, those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. So this is uh, interesting because uh, the priests and everyone else, they did not separate themselves from the people of the land. This is the idea of like, um, the, all the, uh, the all the people in Israel at the time uh, start, I guess, uh, giving themselves over uh, to other um, religion, and he and he lists all, all of these uh, different ethnicities: Canaanites, Hittites, Pezzarites, uh, Jebusites, Ammonites, and Moabites, and Egyptians, and Amorites. All these things are in, in are you are basically enemies of God from throughout the entire Old Testament. And these people are committing abominations. And this is the idea of actually pagan worship. And, this, and that's actually what's significant. The problem is not that there were Gentiles among them, but the issue is, is that of, um, of covenant. It's, it's like a religious re- reason. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, there, God was it's not like a racist saying, like, oh, I can only save Jews and not Gentiles. No, he's, rather he uses Jews specifically to point people to him. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Jews are faithful, and doesn't doesn't mean that the Gentiles uh, are all unfaithful. Because uh, if you recall in the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth herself is a Moabite, 
the the grant the uh, the descendant of someone in the uh, the the line of Jesus um, is a Gentile, and that's actually very interesting that the Lord um, uses a Gentile to usher in the kingdom. First David, and then uh, down the line all the way to Jesus. Um, so then the Lord is not actually someone uh, that is against a specific race; rather, he's against their pagan lifestyles. Some of these are uh, you know, worship multiple gods. They um, uh, some of these things have uh, similar things like Yahweh, but then they have all of these other sins that they uh, that they do. And the, the Israelites here have given themselves up to all of these pagan nations. So I want you to remember that this is not about uh, ethnicity here, but it's about um, the things that they believe. It's, this is a is a religious issue, not a uh, not a like a ethnic issue. Verse two, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, for their sons, so that the holy race has intermingled with the people of the lands. Indeed, the lands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in the in this unfaithfulness. So the leaders, again, uh, were the ones that were unfaithful, and then it's their unfaithfulness that brought in um, an example to everyone else uh, to commit sins. And and look again, this is why I said the, at first about it, this is not about ethnicity. Because in verse 2 it says, that, so the holy race has intermingled with the people of lands. It's not about the, the holy race being intermingled. It means that like uh, they start giving themselves up to all these pagan worship. And um, they start doing things that are um, uh, you know, sinning against the Lord. Uh, this is, um, is this supposed to show them that their, the covenant commandment was broken again. That they, the Israelites, has decided to... Um, do sin, commit sin, and give themselves up to um, to these pagan nations that they themselves are uh, are worshiping a false god again in the land of Israel again. Again, this is uh, exactly what has happened throughout um, First and Second Kings. Is what brought the entire nation to downfall. And Solomon was the same way. He had a thousand wives and a thousand women in his life that swayed him from the Lord, turned his heart from him, and the entire nation was fractured. And we see this again with with these Jews. Verse 3, when I heard about this, I tore my garments and my robes and pulled some of my hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exile gathered to me and sat appalled until the evening offering. Ezra uh, was, um, his reaction is actually it matches that of theology. He he understands what's going on and his and he's broken over um, the fact that these Israelites will do this. He said he's appalled and this word appalled it's just he's just broken over the fact of the sins of other people. He he sees all this things all this going on and he he's like tearing out his head hair from his head and his beard and he's you know I just imagine it's very crazy. So he's just screaming and crying and weeping in front of everyone. They're like wondering what's going on. He explains to them what's going on. Um, in verse five, he starts he starts praying. But at evening, at the evening offering, I rose from my humiliation, even with my garments and my robe torn. I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our father to the days we have been in great guilt, and on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of the land to the sword, to captivity, and to plunder, and to open shame, as it is this day. So Ezra does like a little history lesson, explaining and praying to where he realizes that, okay, we deserve this. 
We deserve being exiled. We deserve being punished. We deserve being uh, put into captivity because we are no different from the people in the past. Uh, the kings back then gave themselves up, the priests back then gave themselves up, and the people of Israelites now, then, then in the Old Testament, and now in the current time of Ezra, is doing exactly the same thing. Verse 8, But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escape remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in the bondage of our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the king of Persia to give us reviving to raise up the house of our God, to store its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, Ezra just saying how faithful and gracious God is. The fact that the Israelites, there's a small remnant that's still around, uh, shows God's faithfulness. Because um, remember, all the way back into Abrahamic covenant, God said that through their through the line of Abraham, the, the Messiah is going to come. Um, and even though these people are in sin right now, God is still preserving them. He is uh, showing him mercy. He's he's basically still preparing uh, the way for the Messiah to come, even though the people are are committing all of the sin. And Ezra sees that. He sees how good and kind God is and his faithfulness despite Israel's unfaithfulness. Verse 10, Now our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of people of the lands with their abomination, which have filled it from the end to end uh, with their impurity. And this should sound somewhat familiar because this is... <coughs> This is what God commanded them all the way back in uh, Joshua and even um, uh, Deuteronomy. Like, you're going to go into this land and there's a whole bunch of wickedness there. Yours will be separate and distinct from them. Verse 12. So now do not give your daughters to their sons nor take their daughters to your sons and never seek their peace or their prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to the inheritance of your sons forever. Um, this is uh, from Exodus 34:15 and Deuteronomy 7:3 that they will teach their kids um, God's word and God's faithfulness, and they're supposed to separate themselves from the rest of the world. After all this, verse 13. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, have requited us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us an escape remnant as this. Shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the people who commit these abominations? Will you not be angry with us to the point of destruction till there is no remnant nor any who escape? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for I have been left in escape remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. So Ezra understands uh, that if God decided to destroy them, at that moment, it is perfectly just. He knows that they have committed a tremendous sin against the Lord that day. And Ezra is one of the few people that is calling out sin for what it is. And um, even it seems like he's even confessing on behalf of the people. And that's the role of the priest. He's supposed to intercede. But there's just so much great sin going on that he just feels broken. And he's, and he's just confessing, um, hoping that the people have the same type of a contrite heart when it comes to their own sin. So uh, that's what this chapter, in summary, is about. Uh, and this week, um, much like you know, the last several weeks in chapter 7, chapter 7, we talk about how the, the, the man and woman that God uses uh, uh, that glorifies him. And then last week, we talked about how 
uh, the, the types of prayer that honors the Lord. This week we're going to talk about the type of confession or repentance that honors the Lord, um, building on uh, uh, really just how uh, a person can honor the Lord with their life. And part of being a Christian is that you have to confess your sins, not to any priest, not to any necessary pastor, though these things are, well, especially the pastors, uh, or especially the priests, you can you know, confess your sins to the pastor, but more importantly than confessing to man is that you confess to your heart to the Lord that the sins that you committed against him. And we're going to look at some, I have like maybe three or four principles that we can look at in terms of the type of confession or type of repentance that is honoring to the Lord. And I hope that this will cause us all to really think about um, our sin and take sin seriously, but also take repentance seriously. Uh, the danger is that we become so callous because of, over our sin that we fail to confess, that we um, fail to uh, make right with the Lord. And really, for some of us, um, it's, it's, it's evident of where our heart's at. And I hope that if you are sensitive to things of the Lord, that you will be constantly confessing and being thankful to the Lord for what he's done for you on his behalf, um, on our behalf, what he's done on our behalf. Uh, through the life and death of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, so that's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to look at the type of confession and prayer that is pleasing to the Lord. Um, I'll, I'll bring that, I'll explain more as we uh, look at this study uh, this coming week. Hope you have a blessed Monday. Take care and have a good day.